This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are on page 70 He was describing the Ten kochot nefesh the ten expressions of the of the soul, ten conscious expressions of the soul, and he basically divided into two categories: seichel and midas, intellect and emotional attributes. Because the soul is re- created, the image is a reflection of Hashem, so it's a reflection of the ten sfirot, the ten divine emanations, which are also divided into two parts which are what he calls the three mothers and the seven doubles, which is Chachma bin Adas, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and the seven days of, crea- of creation. Because there is a difference between the intellect and the emotions. Intellect is something that's, that's alone, that's internal. A person doesn't need another person to comprehend, to think. On the contrary, people or intellectuals find human company a distraction. (laughs) The ivory tower intellectuals, and you like to sit alone and to think. You need privacy, you need quiet to meditate and to reflect. Um, Emotions is the opposite. Emotions is your reaction, your relationship to something outside of you. Do I love? Am I attracted? Do I hate? It's your interaction with the world around you. People who are passionate, people who are emotional, are actually very social. They interact with other people. Intellectuals are remote, they're removed, they live in their own world. They don't like to be disturbed. They need quiet, they need solitude. Um, Because intellect transcends your interaction with other people. Intellect is for yourself. I want to understand. It has to make sense to me. Do I comprehend it? Does it make sense to me? Does it make sense to me? And, and it's abstract. Is this the good? Is this not good? Well, emotions, intellect, passion is, is your relationship to the world outside of you. So too, Torah says that God creates the world with the seven emotional attributes. Because all of creation begins with God's emotional attributes. It's, so to speak, God's relationship to those outside of him. Love, the act of creation is an act of love to something outside of God, which is his creatures. So the whole world is founded on, on the emotional attributes. And the, the emotional attributes is where the world begins to exist. The world only comes into existence because God wants to bestow his kindness in, on us. So therefore he creates a world in which he can express his kindness and his love by creating us and giving us life and revealing godliness to us and allowing us to comprehend him and to be close to him and to emulate him. So the whole world is founded on emotions, on God's emotional attributes. While the Torah, 
which is, so to speak, God's intellect, God's mind, Chachma Binadaz, the Talmud says the Torah precedes the world. Precedes the world. The world, the Torah precedes the world, meaning it's above the world. On the level of the Torah, the world doesn't exist. It's, it's so to speak, God the way He is to Himself. It's like the, the Torah. The Torah is basically God's vision of this world. Why He created the world. That the world is only here just to express God's purpose and God's vision of this world. So, from the Torah's perspective, really, the world, it's not the way God relates to the world as the world is an entity, uh, an entity in itself. The world is merely an expression of God's purpose. So it's really the way the world exists in the Torah. The world, the Torah precedes the world, exists the world. The world doesn't really exist from from uh, in the Torah as an independent entity. It's only with God's emotional attributes that God begins to relate to the world. Where the world gains uh, an independent, the world becomes like an independent entity, and God bestows His love and His kindness on the world. Or God relates to the world with strictness, with strength and all the seven emotional attributes. So, so too, the ten expressions of the godly soul. So you have these two categories. The first category is the intellect. First, the uh, godly soul intellectually understands godliness, which begins with the creative spark, with the spark of comprehension then that develops into a full-fledged comprehension, full-fledged understanding. And then that leads to das, to very deep meditation and contemplation, which leads to emotions. That evokes a feeling to God, a love, and then a sense of awe, and a sense of fear, of awe, of, of, of um, dread even, when you're standing in the presence of greatness, you're overwhelmed, you're, over, you're awed by God's presence. And it's very humbling. You realize how tiny you are and how insignificant you are in comparison to God who's infinite. So when you realize and you meditate and you reflect after learning and understanding, and understanding very deeply, and then applying that understanding and personalizing it and relating to it, how God fills the world with energy, the energy of the world, the life of the world is all godly, godly energy. And then how God transcends the world. How the godly energy is really transcends the whole framework and the whole frame of reference of the world. God transcends time and space. And, and that, you know, God contains the world, but the world does not contain God. And we don't even perceive that real source of life. Just like we don't even perceive our own subconscious. We don't even know, we barely know that it even exists. So the part that we are aware of is just one tiny part of ourselves. But what's really going on is submerged. We're not even aware of it. But that's really the, the, the foundation, the root, the source of everything that happens on the conscious level. But we're, we are blissfully unaware of it. So too the life force that we comprehend, the energy that we sense, that we comprehend, the vitality, the life force that we feel, that's just the superficial, the external um, life force. So God fills all the worlds. But the primary life force is the, the overall and the infinite life force that we don't even perceive, we don't even sense. 
like we feel that we're alive, but we don't even feel that it's divine, that it's a miracle, that it's divine energy. You know, we don't make that connection. Not because it's not divine. Everything is divine, but because we don't sense it, because it transcends us, it transcends our grasp, it transcends our mind, it transcends our awareness, our consciousness. It's there. It permeates our very core and essence. That is the whole life force. That is everything. That is the foundation and the underpinning, and that is the root and the source, and that's with all around us. It's not abstract. It's, all, it's within us and all around us, but we don't feel it. We can't grasp it, so it eludes us. So we say that this is God surrounding us, around us, but it's really God is, it's, it's all permeating. And then when you realize that, then, that even that level is really, God transcends the world, I mean God has some relationship to the world. To say that God fills all the worlds, and God is a, transcends all the worlds, God has to have some relationship to the world. But the truth is, in comparison to the essence of God, the world has no existence. The world has no value. The world is absolutely inherently insignificant. And to God, it has no value. All of creation is nothing more than just like one letter in comparison to, to the person who speaks the letter. Does that one letter, a person who utters a word, a letter, does that letter, does that word have any meaning, significance, value in comparison to the person who spoke that word? absolutely meaningless, nothing. Not that, you, not that the person didn't speak the word, but the word doesn't mean anything. It has absolutely no value. So to all, the entire universe, both the physical universe and the spiritual universe and the higher levels of consciousness, the entire universe, in comparison to God, is not even like a drop of the ocean in comparison to the ocean. It's, it's like a letter in comparison to the person who speaks the letter. The letter comes from the person. Does the letter add anything to the person? Does it have any value? Does it have any meaning? No, it has no meaning. It has no value. It's like the light of the sun. What does the light of the sun add to the sun, within the sun? The sun emanates light. Of course, the sun has light. You can't give what you don't have. But does the light of the sun mean anything in the sun? Does it add anything? It's, it's like it doesn't exist. It means nothing. So the whole world in, in, to God doesn't mean anything. It's as if it doesn't exist. It's, it has no value. It doesn't add anything to God. So when the person realizes this and reflects on this very deeply and realizes how far we are, how remote we are, how insignificant we are, in comparison to our ultimate source of reality, to God, then that leads a person to a tremendous passionate feeling. And it leads a person to even a level of ecstasy where your soul is ready to expire in ecstasy. Because you have no, you have no uh, enjoyment of pleasure you know, in, in, in indulging in the material reality. That's not, that's not reality to you. That's not, that's not how you define yourself. So your soul wants to expire wants to expire and connect with Hashem because that, that's the only true reality. Surely nothing material, nothing external and not even anything spiritual. Spirituality, meditation, higher levels of consciousness. Okay, you're reaching out to the infinite, you're reaching out to the transcendent. But the, the transcendent is also insignificant to God. God is neither spiritual nor physical. 
So the essence of God is like the letter. There's one word, a person speaks one word, one letter. Have I even scratched the surface? Have I come closer to his essence? So with all the spirituality in the world and all the meditation in the world and all the higher levels of consciousness and all the ecstasy and all the soaring in heaven, have I even come closer to God? One iota closer to God? I even scratched the surface? So the soul is yearning, escapes, and wants to yearn, yearns to escape and to cleave and to connect with the essence of God. Nothing can satisfy you. It creates a tremendous thirst and hunger, and you realize that nothing in this world, neither material nor spiritual, can really satisfy your hunger and your thirst. And of course, the only thing that could satisfy that hunger, ultimately, is studying Torah and doing a mitzvah, and doing the act of goodness and kindness. There is nothing else doing tzedakah, doing the mitzvah. There is nothing else. That's the only way you can really touch the essence of God. So that's the, that's the, the, when the soul is on fire, when the soul, after the soul learns and studies, and after the soul comprehends and digests what he has learned and studied, and understands it in great depth, and then concentrates on it and focuses on it until you get excited about it. You get excited about godliness. You get excited. Your soul is excited. You want to connect to the essence of God. You want to strip away all the superficial layers and you really want to touch God, the essence of God. So your heart is on fire until your heart cleaves and yearns and wants to escape your physical existence or even wants to escape your spiritual existence. You really want to connect with the essence of God. So these are the emotions of the soul, the expressions of the soul. And that's where we left off. He said the first emotion is that you feel a sense of awe. When you sense God's greatness and the divine majesty, it evokes in your heart a sense of humbleness to be humble before God's infinite greatness. Just like if you stood in the presence of a brilliant person, stand in the presence of a Rebbe, you feel you feel very humble. <laughs> very, you know, you feel very uh, so too. When you feel, when you realize you're standing in the presence of Hashem, you feel you feel very humble. And then it leads to a sense of dread, is when you actually feel in your heart, when you're actually standing. Fear is a more of an abstract motion, emotion, but when you are actually feel your heart pounding. When you actually feel standing in the presence, you actually feel when you're standing right next to the person face to face, your heart starts pounding. It's a palpable emotion. It's not just abstract. So much so, the Talmud says, a person who's drunk, if he has a sense of dread, a real dread, if a beer walked right in front of him, <laughs> he had a sense of dread, it would sober up very quickly because that palpable fear, your heart literally trembles and flutters would actually clear up and, and uh, sober you up very quickly. Um, so, and then he says, then, next, that's where we left off last, come you want to read in the middle of page 70, next is contemplation. Next, his contemplation will give birth to the attribute of chesed, expressed as a love of God, so that his heart will glow with an intensive love of God like fiery flames with a passion, desire, and longing, and and a yearning soul. Each of these expressions, fiery flames, passion, and so on, 
denoting a different grade of love toward the greatness of the blessed Ein Sof. This is what is meant by the term Kalot Hanefesh, a consuming passion of the soul. As it is written, my soul longs for you, indeed it faints, and my soul thirsts for God, and again my soul thirsts for you. So intense can one love can one's love become that the soul risks being consumed in the fiery flames of its love of God and totally leaving the body. In fact, were one not to forestall this danger and contain his great love, he would indeed expire. But he restrains himself so that his soul will remain clothed in his body, the only condition in which it is possible for him to fulfill his God-given mission. Actually, a story that happened with the author, the Alter Rebbe himself, when he was sitting in prison, and he was being interrogated, and the uh, minister for religious affairs came to visit him. He was very impressed. He realized that he's dealing with a very special person, and um, he enjoyed his conversation with him, and he said, let me ask you a question. You know, I'm a student of the Bible, and there's something in the Bible right in the beginning that I never understood. It says when Adam sinned, he says he hears God's voice. God says, Adam, where are you? So he says, God doesn't know. He doesn't know where Adam is. He has to ask him, Adam, where are you? So the Rebbe says, well, surely you know Rashi's commentary. He says, yeah, I'm familiar with Rashi's commentary, that God was just opening up a conversation. He didn't want to overwhelm him. So he says, Adam, where are you? But you know, that never satisfied me. I want to hear an explanation. So the Rebbe looks at him, and the Rebbe says, Do you believe that the Torah is eternal? That God is speaking to us through the Torah, to each and every one of us? He says, Yes. He says, So that's what the Torah means. The Torah means God is speaking to every individual. God is calling out to Adam, for example person, let's say, I forget the year he said, let's say, say a person is 54 years old. That was the exact age of this minister. So God calls out to him and he says, Ayeka, where are you? What have you accomplished in your life? Have you done anything in your life? Have you accomplished anything meaningful in your life? And he was so taken aback. He loved that answer so much. He slapped out the Rebbe in the back. He says, bravo. That, that's, that's a beautiful answer. That satisfies me. And later on he was very helpful in helping the release of the Alter Rebbe, he went back to the Tsar and he gave a very good recommendation. The Alter Rebbe is a holy person and that this whole thing is a libel. And he was instrumental in mental having him free. So he did something in his life. <laughs> you can answer that question. <laughs> Have you done something in your life? He was instrumental in uh, keeping the Alter Rebbe alive and out of prison. The Alter Rebbe later told the story. He said that actually when he told this person this explanation, not only he helped save his own life, spiritually. He says, because since he was in prison, the 53 days he was in prison, he had such mystical experiences like he's never had before in his life. He had visitations from the Maggid of Mizrich, his Rebbe, and the Baal Shemta, who he never really saw except once as a child, when he came time to cut his hair. His parents brought him in and out very quickly and just kept him calling him Zaydi. He never really saw the Baal Shem Tov, but he had visitations from the Baal Shem Tov and Rabbi Dover. And he had such experiences like he never had before in his life. And the fact that he merited to potentially sacrifice his life for the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov 
he was in such ecstasy that he was in danger of expiring. His soul was in danger. He had such a, a, a experiences of godliness like he never before experienced in his life. He says when he, when he repeated to that minister that God is asking each, and the pers- each individual person, Ayeka, where are you? That helped him, reminded him that the goal, my mission in life is not to expire in ecstasy. My mission in life is to remain in this world and to do Hashem's work in this world. And that saved my life because I was about to expire. So God's question is eternal. To one person, it's on the other end of the spectrum, someone who's indulging in materialism, who's lost in the material world. God is like schlepping him out of the mud and saying, Ayeka, wake up, where are you? What's your purpose in life? Are you accomplishing your purpose in life? And the other extreme, the Torah is speaking to someone like the Alter Rebbe who's about to expire in ecstasy, and the Torah is telling you, grab hold of yourself, restrain yourself, and remain in this world. There's a Baal when he would daven, he wasn't sure he would make it alive. Because in he daven, it was an experience. It wasn't just davening, saying the words. When he said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your being, he lived it, he experienced it, and he wasn't sure he was going to make it. But every day he made it. But it took tremendous restraint to stop right at the boundary when it was about to expire to stop and to refrain himself. He told the story that the Alter Rebbe was once with the, his friend, his son, the only child of his teacher's master, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad of who was called Avram the Angel. The expression is, once they made a circle, and they entered the circle, and they entered into a mystical experience. And they were both about to pass out with ecstasy. Dr. Rebbe realized that they're both about, literally, to pass on. Like Nadav and Avio passed away, he quickly jumped out of the circle and he grabbed a bagel and butter and he gave it to the maggot and they ate a bagel just to keep them in this world, to bring them down to reality because they were like, they were halfway on the other, on the other side. Um, and that, that took tremendous wisdom and self-restraint that a person has to remember. Um, so some people... There's still the tradition. <laughs> eating bagel <laughs> for, for that reason right <laughs> so some, some people have to restrain themselves not to indulge in material pleasures and some people have to restrain themselves not to indulge not to pass away and expire in ecstasy because of the sweetness of godliness so that's what he's describing here as King David writes that sometimes your soul you can have such a fiery flame flamed passion to Hashem, that your soul is literally on fire, that you're ready to expire. Your soul is just passing out. The love and the feeling is so intense and so powerful, and you're thirsting for God, and nothing in this world could possibly satisfy that longing. You're aching. You're ill. You're sick with love, like, like lovesick. It says, chayla. Hebrew word for ill, sick has numerical value of 49. Ches and Vav is 14. And Lamed says 44. And He says 49. So it says, because the 49th gate, person who has reached the 49 gates of heaven, and he's, he's lovesick to reach the 50th gate, which a human being could only reach 49 gates. And when you, the 50th gate... That's when you pass on. 
That's why it says Moshe Rabbeinu. When he passed away, he passed away on Mount Nebo, Har Nevo. Nevo is Nun Boy. When they passed away, he reached the 50th, 50th gate. And he passed away, he was about to pass away in ecstasy. Um, so a person could become lovesick, and he's so, he's aching, until he could become physically ill, that he's, he's aching for godliness. Nothing in this world could possibly satisfy his hunger and his urge and his need and his. And but he has to restrain himself. Right before he's about to reach the point of no return, he has to restrain himself, discipline himself, be a good soldier, and re-enter, not get lost in outer space, but re-enter into reality. That's that's the danger. That's one of the dangers of Kabbalah, studying Kabbalah. One of the reasons why there were limits placed in studying the Kabbalah. One of the dangers is that you can get lost in outer space. You forget to come back to reality. The re-entry is the most important part. To be able to come back into reality and you know, reorient yourself to reality and take, take that experience. Um, many people get lost. Which Apollo got uh, almost got stranded in outer space? Thirteen. Thirteen. Apollo thirteen almost got stranded in outer space. Well, there are many people who live their lives that way. They get lost and stranded in outer space, and they can no longer reconnect with reality and no longer deal with real people and the real world. And that's not the purpose. It's not why Hashem. It's not the purpose why Hashem sent our soul into this world. It's, you have to have your feet firmly planted in this world. You can never forget what the purpose is all about. And how do you do it? Oh. How do you do it? That's the, that's the million-dollar question. Because a Jew is a soldier. When you, It's not just love. If you only have love, you can't do it. But a Jew also has a sense of awe. And awe puts you in place. It humanizes you, and it humbles you, and it brings you very down to earth very quickly. When you're standing in the presence of Hashem, you know, you feel very humbled and very insignificant. And, and you approach Hashem, I'm a simple soldier. And therefore, the question is not, what can God do for me? Lord, get me high. What can I do for Hashem? Why does Hashem need me? I'm a soldier. And Hashem, needs, we are here on a mission. We are His ambassadors. In this world, of course, the ambassador doesn't want to live in France. The ambassador wants to live in the United States. The American ambassador doesn't want to live in some foreign country, in Cambodia, in some alien country. He wants to live at home. It's a very foreign country then. But he knows he has a mission. And he's a loyal soldier. And, and uh, so, of course, we would rather be elsewhere. And it's only because we would rather be elsewhere that we could be an effective soldier. The moment the ambassador of Cambodia feels comfortable in Cambodia, it's time to bring him home. He's not effective anymore. He doesn't represent America anymore. It's because he doesn't feel home at home. And he would rather be... That's why he could be effective and accomplish his mission. But he's a loyal soldier. He remembers what his mission is. He's here. He has an assignment. He's here to represent his country in a foreign environment. And the same is with a Jew. A Jew, we are soldiers. We have an assignment. We have a mission. We never forget that. So we never allow ourselves to indulge 
That could be indulging. If you allow yourself to go all the way, you're just indulging. And it's an ego trip. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. It's very easy to, to delude yourself. But it's the ultimate ego trip. But a Jew always remembers it's not about me, it's about Hashem. And therefore, Hashem needs me to be down to earth, to be practical, to be living in this world. And therefore, you always bring yourself back from the brink. So it's constant back and forth. And that's why we're affected. Because we would rather be connected with godliness all the time, but because we remember that this is our mission, that's why we're able to be, to bring godliness into this world. That's why a Jew has Shabbos once a week. It's constant back and forth. Shabbos, we move to Shabbos Island. The world doesn't exist. No telephone, no radio, no television, no distraction. We, we might as well be living in a different, in a different world. Nothing exists in Shabbos. The world doesn't exist. It ceases to exist. And then that gives us the strength. We go back home. Once a week we come home. That gives us a Shabbos means Tashuv. The word Shabbos comes from the word Teshuvah, to return. We go back home. That gives us the strength to go back to the outside, to go back in our embassy post, in our position, to go back into the world, whatever part of the world that God gave each and every one of us, and to light it up and to bring a little goodness and godliness into that portion of the world. It's the people we interact with. So it's back and forth. That's the mystery of the Jew. That's the secret of the Jew. That's the paradox of the Jew. It's back and forth. It's like a heartbeat. You breathe in, you breathe out. It's constant back and forth. That's a sign of life. In and out, back and forth. It's opposite. It's constant. Otherwise, if it's one-dimensional, if it's all spirituality, you know, or it's all practicality, it's east or it's west, that spells death. It's not east or it's not west. East and West. It's body and soul. It's material and spiritual. It's paradoxical. It's God. It's reality. And that's the, that's this mystery of the Jew. That's why they've been studying us for 3,800 years and they still can't figure us out. Because we don't make sense. We're, we're spiritual and we're practical. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't exist. Either you're spiritual, you're on the mountaintop, you're meditating, Dalai Lama, Buddha, Mother Teresa, or your material. But this being both at the same, simultaneously, back and forth, Yom Kippur were angels, the next day we're back on Wall Street, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Because the Jew doesn't make sense. But that's, that's the secret of the Jew. That we have Kalois and Nefesh, our soul longs and yearns until we thirst and we're faint. But then we, we bring ourselves back from the brink and we re-enter and we go back into reality and we take that inspiration with us and integrate it and bring it back into a reality. This loving thirst is derived from the element of fire in the divine soul. As students of natural science affirm, and so it is in Etzchayim, the element of fire is in the heart while the source of the element of water and moisture is in the brain. As explained in Aitzchayim, Portal 50, the source of the element of water is the level of Chachmah, which is called the water of the divine soul. 
And it's quite obvious. You see a difference in intellectuals and emotional people. Intellectuals are usually, could be cold, very cold, very abstract, distant, remote. They live in their own world. They don't relate to people outside of them. The people outside of them distract them. Um, they live in their own world. Emotional people are very warm. You can feel the warmth. They're loving and they're warm. And, you know, you feel close to them. And, um, and um, there's a relationship. There's a connection. So people who are basically emotional, it's fiery. It's, 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 there's heat. There's fire. There's intensity. People who are basically of the mind, intellectual bent, it's like water. Water is calm, it's cold, it's cool and collected. <laughs> Different personalities. You know, you have volcanoes, you have people <laughs> who are emotional, you have calm, cool, collected people. These are people with intellectual bent. Different personalities. Okay, continue. Isn't as much. Inasmuch as the heart is the seat of the emotions, of warmth, we say that it is the abode of the element of fire. In contrast, the brain, being the seat of cold intellect, calm and measured intelligence, is the source of the element of water. One can readily observe this by comparing the demeanor of an emotional person to that of an intellectual. So one is turbulent, and is, 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 you know, emotions are turbulent and, and uh, you know, very much emotionally alive and passionate and uh, very emotive, and then yeah, intellectual is the opposite, very calm and cool, and cool under fire and calm, and so it's, it's two different personalities. So too with the intellect and emotions of the divine soul. The heat and passion of one's love of Hashem is expressed in the heart, ultimate, ultimately leading him to expire in Kelot Hanefesh. The mind, however, remains cool. This capacity of the intellect for calm, appraisal of a situation, leads it to comprehend that Hashem's intent is that the soul remain clothed in the body so that it will be able to fulfill the Torah and its commandments. This realization cools the fiery ardor of the heart and thus prevents the soul from actually expiring the Torah. It's like fire. You pour the water over the fire, it cool, cools down the fire, the ardor. So while the heart is about to pass, pass out in ecstasy, the mind causes you to get a grip on yourself and to remember, to stay focused, remember what it's all about. And therefore it cools down the ardor, and it allows you to contain yourself. Um, otherwise the emotion will just, you know, run wild and without any, any boundary. And it will go overboard. So without the mind guiding, the mind is like the light. Without the light, you have fire. A lot of fire, a lot of energy, a lot of passion. A lot of people are very emotional and very passionate, but they have no guidance, they have no principles, I mean, they have no light. So there's a lot of heat, but no light. It's when you marry the two, you have intellect together with the heart. When you're able to draw lines, you're able to connect the intellect with the heart, that the intellect should, should uh, be, inspire the heart. So you have that energy, that engine that fire, that passion, that light, that vitality. But the heart needs the guidance and the light of the mind to guide it in the right direction and to stop it from going overboard. Because sometimes people are very emotional, but they're very unwise. And they do things that are very foolish. With the best intentions. They say things that are foolish. They do things that are foolish. 
because the heart is just overwhelmed with feelings and emotions and they don't have the mind to contain them, just to guide them, to lead them. It's like, like a leaderless, an engine's on fire without any leadership. So it's, a person has to have the water element to lead and guide and channel the heart in the right direction, not to go overboard, not to self-destruct. If the soul expires with the best intention, it defeats the whole purpose. So you need the mind to tell you, wait, this is not the right response. Control yourself. Get a grip of yourself. Hold yourself in. Contain yourself. So it's when you marry the two that you have the best of both worlds. So, so until now, we explained the function of Chachma and Bina. Chachma is the creative spark. And Bina is the building blocks, the comprehensive, the comprehension, the analysis, the full-fledged understanding of the, of the idea of godliness, which leads a person to emotion. Now he's going to explain what function Das plays. Das. Chachma, Bina, Das. There are three mothers. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And now he's going to explain the central role of Das. Alter Rebbe's discussion of the birth of Midot from the intellect has thus far been centered on two emotions, love and fear of God, what of the others? The rest of the remaining five Midot are all offshoots and derivatives of fear and love, and obviously they too are born of Chachma and Bina, as explained elsewhere. All the above explains why Chachma and Bina are called the father and mother of the Midot, for it is through the contemplation exercised by Chachma and Bina that the Midot are born. Chachma is called the father, just as the drop of semen which derives from the father's brain comprises is concentrated in concealed form. All the organs of the child's body, similarly, the seminal point of Chachma contains, in a concealed manner, all the details of an idea, as explained above. And just that it is the mother who reveals the child's organs from their concealed state and brings them to the completion. Similarly, Bina reveals, expands, and elucidates the concept in all its details. But what of Da'at, the third of the intellectual faculties? Da'at, too, as explained earlier, is a mother and source of Midot. What does it contribute to their birth? This issue is now addressed. Da'at, whose etymology may be found in the verse, and Adam Nim Yada'i, implies attachment and union. So this is actually biblical knowledge it refers to that uh, Adam was intimate with Chava. That is something that represents uh, maturity. The difference between a minor and an adult is a minor has no that. A minor could be brilliant. Some children are brighter and more brilliant than some 90-year-olds. But a child is still a child. A child is lacking in that. They don't have maturity. And they don't have the ability to be intimate as well. They don't, that comes with maturity, which is a symptom of physical maturity, which is a symptom of inner maturity, that they have, that the third brain is finally developing, it's beginning to develop. Brain, the brain that's in the back, on top of the spine, that that brain is beginning to develop, that's the source of maturity. Um, maturity is when a person is able to be responsible, when a person is held responsible, when a person is able to 
um, get a feel for for an idea. It's more than just understanding an idea. You know, you can have a childish understanding of an idea. You can understand an idea, but it's abstract. You don't personalize the idea. You don't relate to the idea. You don't connect with the idea. You don't internalize the idea. You don't integrate it. It's, it's an interesting idea. It's remote, it's abstract, and doesn't affect you. Um, das is when the idea penetrates your consciousness. You bring it home. You make it your own. You apply the idea. Where a concept turns into conviction. Into a principle, into conviction. And that's maturity. Maturity is when you develop the idea to the extent that you personalize it. That you have a, develop a feel for it. You know, recognition of the idea. You know, it's when something clicks inside of you. You can know something, and you can hear about it, and you can learn about it, and you can read about it. And you understand it. And you understand it analytically, and you understand it, and you can explain it. But then there comes a moment when it clicks inside of you. You say, ah, now I get it. <laughs> you know, some people, it takes many times to hear a joke till they get it. It's when you finally get it. <laughs> when you finally... And that's something very internal. You know, it's, like, it's, like, it's almost, almost like a bodily reaction. Now I get it. You feel it. It sinks in. In your guts, in your kishkas. You feel it. You get it. It's not just abstract any longer. It's not just in the brain. It's something clicks inside. It evokes a response inside of you. There's a reaction to the idea. You have a nice idea, and it's interesting, and I understand it, and I can explain it, but there's no reaction. Das is when, sudden, when there's a personal reaction to the idea. You react to the idea. And it becomes a conviction. It becomes personal. And it's not just I... And that's how you make decisions. Brilliant people have difficulties making decisions. Because they see two sides of every issue. When people are dating, they make a list. Everything they're looking for. <laughs> and, you know, it's very hard to make decisions on lists. It's all abstractions. <laughs> it's not reality. What does the, the person who makes a decision, how does he make a decision? A person who makes a decision, um, it's, it's, there's something intangible. It's not just looking at abstract and making a list of the pros and making a list of the cons. It's really the ability to integrate, taking everything into consideration and then integrating it and then coming to a decisiveness, a decision. There are people who are brilliant but can't have no decisiveness. They can't make any decision. They, nothing is clear. Nothing is decisive. Everything is well, maybe, or depending on the last person they spoke to. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's no conviction. There's no, like, this is the way I should go, and this is what I want to do, and this is my decision, and this is, I'm resolved to do this, and my conviction, and you're not going to dissuade me so easily. You know, they stand by their, their decision. They stand by their opinion. Because it's not just... Because they, they have integrated all, taken everything into consideration, internalized everything, integrated everything, until they get a feel for it. A decision, you have to have a feel for it. It's a little deeper. You have to go deeper. Just listing all the pros, all the logical pros, and listing all the logical cons, that's all intellectual, that's abstract, that's logic, that's the world of Bina can't make decisions based on being. Das is you have to go deeper. You have to penetrate. That's maturity. That's adulthood. 
You have to get beyond childishness. You have to penetrate a little deeper. You have to focus, you have to concentrate, and you have to go deeper until you get a feel for the, for the, for the subject. And once you get a feel for the subject, then it turns into conviction. And this is the direction I have to go. And this is what I want. And this is, this is good. And this is what I need. And, and, um, and then you're, 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 you're able to be, you're decisive about your opinion. Usually leaders, leaders usually have very highly developed das, very highly developed, the mind of das is very highly developed because they have to be decisive. A real leader has to be decisive. You know, not an, based on external polls or opinions, but internally. There's an internal decision-making, a resolve that this is the way to go. After taking everything into consideration, this is the right path. And decisively go forward. And not be easily deterred from your decision, from your path. So it takes a strength. It takes depth. It takes maturity. And it takes time. Because to make decisions, you really have to, to get a feel for something, you have, to, you have to sit on it. You have to take the idea, and you have to, like, pickle the idea. You have to allow it to sink in. You have to absorb it. Until, you, until it seeps into every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, until you make it your own, until you own it. And then you claim ownership of the idea. People who are abstract, intellectually abstract, don't never own an idea interesting, they grasp it, they understand it, it's intellectually stimulating, but they don't never personalize it, and they don't internalize it, and there's no sense of ownership, and there's no forcefulness, and there's no decisiveness, and there's no guide, there's no leadership, there's no direction, they just flounder, just react to the world around them, but there's no guiding force that guides them decisively in a direction. This is the direction I want. This is the direction I'm going to take and I'm going to go and go forward. Because they're lacking in das, they're lacking in maturity. That is the human condition. <laughs> Most people are immature. Most people's lives are very immature. Because das takes effort. Das takes concentration. Takes energy but das creates energy a person who's decisive when you turn your concept into conviction that generates energy that generates momentum and then you take then you own your life you take life personally you're decisive in your life you take you you you, you own your life you're not just bumped around by circumstances you don't just allow circumstances to guide your life and i react to this and i'm reacting to this fire i'm reacting to this circumstance you know where you want to go, you have a goal, you have a purpose, and you focus on your goal, and you go forward every day. You go forward one step at a time towards your goal, and you feel you're, you're accomplishing, you're getting closer and closer. Because you have goal, you have focus, you have concentration, you have guidance. Because you've personalized. I tell the story that there was, in the olden days, most people were illiterate. So in the shtetl, the teacher, the malamid, he was able to read and write. So people received letters on his off time. They would go and pay him a few kupkas, a few pennies, and they, he would read the letters for them. So a person receives a letter from his home. His father was ill, and this was a letter reporting on, the, on his father. 
so the Muhammad, the teacher, is reading the letter, and he says, um, by the way, I'm sorry to let you know that your father passed away last Monday. And when he hears this, the illiterate peasant hears this, he breaks out crying, hysterical, and he's reading on and on. He got to, first he was sick, and he suffered, and, and he's just carrying on. And the Muhammad is reading very cold-bloodedly, he's just reading the letter. An observer was very puzzled. He said, I don't understand, I don't get it. Here, the, the Muhammad, the, the illiterate person, doesn't read, doesn't write, and yet he's reacting, responding, he's crying, he's fainting. He's, and the, the Muhammad, who's literate, who reads and writes and understands, is cold-blooded, couldn't care less, no reaction, no, indifferent. He says, what don't you understand? It's very simple. This is his father. This is not his father. What does he care? Nice, it's interesting, but what does that have to do with me? That's Das. The person who has Das makes everything it's his own. It's my father. It's, my, it's personal. Not just abstract, interesting idea. And then I go back to sleep. Interesting idea, but it doesn't change me. It doesn't affect me. The person who's Das internalizes it. It's my father. It hits home. It has to change me. It has to move me. It has to inspire me. And that's really the key. The key to all maturity is really das. And that's, that's what prayer is all about. The difference between studying Torah and prayer. When you study Torah, you're not learning. Every day you study Torah, you learn something new. That's the excitement of studying Torah. You're always learning something new. You, you repeat what you learn, but then you, every day you learn something new. Something you never learned before. When you pray, it's the exact opposite. The exact same prayer. Day in, day out. Word for word. Letter for letter. Nothing changes. Every single day. Every Shabbos is the same prayer, and every weekday is the same prayer, and with, except, with the exception of the changes. Because in prayer, prayer is not a time to learn. It's not, I'm not learning here to learn something new. Prayer is a time to take that that I already know, in, intellectually, cerebrally, in my mind, conceptually, abstractly, and to internalize it. That should hit home. So prayer is a time where I should become excited. I should, I should react. With this idea turns into conviction, where it changes me, inspires me, it moves me, it challenges me. Where God hits, hits home. And then I take it personally. And that takes das. That takes focus, concentration. We close our eyes in the Shema. You have to sit and meditate before you pray. You need some time as the Mishnah says in Tractate Brachas that we're learning now, the first Hasidim used to, every prayer took three hours, an hour before prayer, three full hours, an hour during prayer, and then an hour after prayer. It takes time to really allow the idea to sink in and to settle and to evoke an internal response to it, where I make it my father, where it hits home and it's personal. And it's meaningful to me, and it elevates me, and inspires me, and it moves me, and it challenges me. That takes time. There's no shortcuts. No shortcuts. Even in our age of instant coffee, nothing in life is instant. Even instant coffee is not instant. It takes time to make the coffee. Nothing in life is instant. Nothing real in life is instant. Something is real, it takes time. There's no shortcuts. You have to digest the food. You can't rush. If you rush, you can get a, a stomachache. Food has to be digested. So too, an idea has to be digested. You have to digest it, you have to internalize it, you have to integrate it, and that takes time. 
time, firstly, to remove the hour before davening is the time to get rid of all the distractions. Just to get our concentration, you need an hour of time just to remove your mind from all the abstractions. Just to be able, just until you're able just to purely focus, like a laser, on the subject that you're trying to focus on. You need just an hour just to remove all the distractions. And then you have an hour of total, pure focus like a laser. Concentration and focus. Intense focus. Just like the intimate act. The intimate act is total focus. 100%. Not 99.9%. If it's 99.9%, you you cannot have the intimate act. The intimate act is total concentration. 100%. You are totally present at that moment. Every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, intellectually, emotionally, physically, spiritually, every part of you is focused. That's why the Torah uses the word das for intimacy. Adam nu chava in an intimate way. Because that is das. Das is total focus, total concentration. And that's the only way that you can really give birth. That's the only way you can create. Because without that link, without the connection of das, it remains cerebral, it remains abstract, and nothing, nothing connects to the heart in a real way. So what is the result then of the normal average person in, engaging in an intimate act? That can't, that doesn't accompany. What's the result of that act? Is it the, the children are not right, or what is it? No, no. It's just, it's just the Torah is using an analogy that every adult has that ability to focus and concentrate. Because obviously, um, to have that intimate act, you have to be able to focus and to concentrate. So every adult um, has that ability, but. The challenge is to use that ability to focus and concentrate on, on, on godliness. On, during prayer, the, the divine soul also has that ability to focus and concentrate, to know God, knowledge, to really know God in an intimate way, to totally focus and concentrate on godliness, to take this idea, this comprehension, this understanding that you develop through Chachma and Bina, and then to really totally focus on it and totally concentrate on it. So this is a spiritual parallel, a spiritual faculty of the soul, just like we see that we have that ability in the physical world. And we know we have that ability. When something matters to you, you can focus, you can concentrate. But the godly soul has that ability to focus and to concentrate on, on godliness. So we have that ability, but we have to exercise that ability. And it's only when you, that's why it's called kayach. Kayach means it's a potential. But it could remain in potential. We have to realize that potential and exercise that option, exercise that potential. So we have that ability. The soul has an ability to totally focus on concentrate. We see that from the physical intimacy, that we all have that ability. Every mature adult has that ability. But we just have to, we have to realize that the godly soul also has that ability, that ability of das, of knowing God, of being intimate with God, of being totally focused and concentrated on God until you personalize it. And that gives birth to real, to real emotions. Um, and that's the only way you can really connect the mind with the heart. The fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel, once saw a locomotive, and he saw there was you know, the locomotive, the head train, and there were 40 cars lined up waiting to be sh- to pulled along with the locomotive. But the conductor forgot to connect the locomotive with the cars. So the locomotive was racing along 
racing ahead, and the car stood in one place. So when the Rebbe saw it, he said, everything that a person sees, Bashem Tov Torah, everything a person sees or hears in this world is by divine providence, and it's here to teach us a lesson, how to serve God. He says he just learned a wonderful lesson, that many times we run off with our mind. We run off, and we're flying, and we're soaring in ecstasy, and we're already grabbing the angels. But the cars, the body, the emotions, the heart, the personality, the character remain stuck. They didn't budge one inch. So our mind is racing, and we're already soaring, and there's no connection. So das is the connection. Das is the link. Without das, without that maturity, without that focus and that ability to focus, which children don't have, but mature adults have, that ability to focus and to concentrate, there could be no connection. So the only way to connect the mind, and the mind could move along the body and inspire the heart and excite the heart and move along the person and elevate and transform and change the person, it's only through das. Das is the great connector. Otherwise, it doesn't, we don't give birth to any real emotions. We give birth to delusions, but not reality. People think they're, 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 they feel, and but that, it's, it's, it's childish excitement. It's excitement that evaporates very quickly. The moment you leave synagogue, it's all over. It's, that's not a real change, a permanent change, something that's etched into your soul. To really make a permanent change in your heart and to really develop a mature child, a viable child. You have to have that das. That's the link, that's the connection. And that's the Chabad. Chachma bina das, with the emphasis being on das. On the final link and the connection. Because that's maturity, and that's the connection between the brain and the heart. Otherwise, there's blockage. It's a very narrow lane. In the brain and the heart, is a one-way street. It's a very narrow lane. It's not a four-lane highway or a California highway. It's a very narrow lane. It's called a neck. And everything gets bottlenecked. <laughs> That's why it's called bottlenecked. Everything gets bottlenecked. So the brain, we, ha- we understand a lot up here. And it, we, uh, the mind can even, even be excited. It's interesting. It's, but it doesn't... It stays up here. There's too much traffic going down to the heart. So the heart remains unmoved uninspired, indifferent, and therefore we also remain unchanged. So das, this is really, this is really the, critical, the critical part, the critical in the whole equation. Whose etymology may be found in the verse in Adam Miriadaiv implies attachment and union. As applied to that of the divine soul, this means binding one's mind with a very firm, strong bond and firmly fixing one's thought on the greatness of the blessed Ainsah without diverting his mind from it, i.e. the subject matter conceived in Chachma and developed in Bina, is absorbed in the mind by concentration does. For even one who is wise, by utilizing his faculty of Chachma and understanding by exercising his faculty of Bina in the greatness of the blessed Ain Sof, yet unless he applies his Dad and fixes his thought firmly and diligently on his understanding of God's greatness, he will not produce in his soul true fear and love, but only vain fancies. He will only imagine that he fears God and loves him. True fear and love are attained only by way of God. Thus, God provides the substance and vitality of the Midat and is therefore termed a mother of the Midat. 
another parent side by side with Chachma and Bina. It comprises Chesed and Gevura, that is to say, love with those other Midah that are its offshoots and fear with its offshoots. So Das is really the what connects the Chachma and the Bina and leads it to emotion. So Das, if you will, is really more of a feeling, an intangible a sense, a felt sense, a feeling. You know, it's more of a soul feeling. Uh, that's why that is depth. That is is soulful. Um, in the paradigm of the person reflecting the ten sfirot, the ten kachot anefer, you have the right brain, the creative mind. You have the left brain, the intellectual mind, the analytical mind. Then you have the limbic brain here on top of the, the top of the spine, and corresponding to that, you have kindness, which is an offshoot of love, expression of love, which is the right hand, which corresponds to the creative mind. You have strength, restraint, definition, which is the left hand, pushes away, restraint, which is an offshoot of the analytical, it breaks down, defines, limits, clarifies, and then you have the heart, which is compassion, which is part of the torso, which is connected to the spine, and that's all on the same line with that maturity. And then you have the right leg. The right leg is the competitive spirit to go forward, to overcome obstacles. You know, the entrepreneur spirit, to, to, and uh, then you have the left leg. So you go forward with your right leg, and you have the left leg. The left leg is restraint. There's beauty and restraint, and that's the brake. You have the accelerator, the right leg is the accelerator, and the left, bre- the left leg is the brake. That's hoid. It's a certain humility, endurance. It's a different, uh, um, a different quality. And then you have, you know, it's, it's the self-editing, the self-limiting. And then you have... Um, Yisoid, foundation, which is a male organ. Now, and then you have Malchus, which is the feminine, which is uh, uh, the woman. Husband and wife come together, and Malchus is the feminine. You have all ten spheres. Now, it's interesting that the three right ones are disconnected. You have the right brain, the right arm, and the right leg. They're on the same line, but they're not connected. You have the left brain, the left arm, and the left leg. Also on the same line, but they're disconnected. While the middle three are all connected. They're all on one line. The brain, the spine, the torso, the heart, and the male organ, which all comes from that brain, the maturity. So a person has to, you know, when the child is no longer a child, that's when they can achieve uh, intimacy. Now, the, um, the reason for that is because... All of these three are about penetra- are about going a little deeper. It's about it's touching the soul, going beneath the surface. It's about touching the soul, understanding logic. That's abstract. That's external. Maturity, das. That's going deeper. That's getting a feel for the subject, intangible. That's already. A person has to have a soul. Maturity is when a person is in touch with his soul. That's when a child becomes bar mitzvah, or a woman becomes bat mitzvah. That's when they, 
start, the soul really begins to enter into their consciousness. They really get a feel for their soul, for that intangible part within them. They can get a feel for things that are intangible, for godliness, for things that are beyond the surface. At that point, they become responsible for their actions. They reach maturity. They reach puberty, which is a reflection of what's going on inside, that they reach a level of maturity. Their mind is developed. Their mature mind has begun to develop. And it opens up a whole new world for them, you know, the world of the intangible world. They start asking the serious questions, the bigger questions, why am I here and what's it all about, and, and start relating to Hashem, even though Hashem is also intangible, but they have the capacity to start to feel that neshama, to have a feel for realities that are beyond the surface. That's the das. And then also compassion. There's a difference between love, a person who's loving and sees the good in everyone, or a person who's very tough and demanding, or compassion. The person who has compassion, a mature, only a mature person can have compassion. Because compassion also, you have to penetrate deeper you have to go deeper than the surface. You have to see a person's soul. You have compassion to a person who, who's acting, who's acting out, up, a person who's acting out, a person who you're very critical of. And nevertheless, you have compassion for him. Instead of being angry at him, you have compassion for him because you realize that underneath that gruff surface, that coarse surface, is a sensitive neshama, a beautiful person, probably an adult who's abused as a child, someone who never grew up and just acting very defensively and acting out. It's just a cover-up. And a person who's acting very arrogant, it's just a cover-up for insecurity. So it takes a person of tremendous compassion and sensitivity to be able to go a little deeper and discover the soul beneath the labels and beneath the surface and discover a real person, a lovable person. And then you have compassion to him, and you can love that person because you realize you're not taken in by their behavior, external behavior, you go a little deeper, you realize there's a real person here. And you understand the circumstances, why the person is acting out. And it's really just a cover up their insecurities. And you can love them, and you can have, be compassionate to them. So it takes a person who he himself is in touch with his own nisham, who doesn't view himself, who sees himself beyond surface and labels, to be able to penetrate and go deeper and see the depth of the other person, to see the nisham of the other person. So compassion is also it's a person who has a feel for something intangible, beyond surface, beyond labels. And then, of course, the, the sexual act, the intimate act, which takes total focus and concentration. And when you create and you give birth to a child, what do we give to a child? You give your essence to your child. You don't just give your surface to the child. That's why blind parents give birth to children who are able to see. How can you give something you don't have? Because they're only blind on the surface. Internally, their soul is whole. Their soul is intact. They have the ability to see. That's why many times children surpass their parents. Because the, parent, the children inherit the potential from their parents. Potentially, the parents have tremendous potential, but like most human beings, never realize their potential. Most human beings live life and barely tap the surface of their potential. That's the tragedy of the exile, the status quo. And the child could live their potential and actualize their potential, and therefore they can surpass their parents. But where do they get it from? From their parents. So when the parent, in the creative act, in the act of intimacy, the parent is giving his very essence to his child, not just the surface self. He's giving his whole being, his whole essence to his child. So again, it's not just external, superficial. It's the soul. It's the very essence of the soul that's being transmitted to the child. And that's why these three, the, emotion, the mature mind, the das, and the compassion, 
and uh, the act of intimacy is all connected because they're really all connected because they all touch a depth. They touch the soul. They touch the deepest part within us. And um, while the others are more external, superficial. So yes, they're on the same line, on the same path, but there's no direct connection between the creative mind and, and love and competitiveness and overcoming obstacles, going forward, the right leg. And the same is on the left line. Versus the, uh, the three are all, are all connected. So this is Das. And this is really the key of Chabad. The emphasis on Chabad always was not just the learning. First, the learning and understanding. And understanding it in depth. Understanding it, understanding it analytically and logically. Understanding Godliness. Not just superficially. A nice word, a nice inspiration, moment of inspiration. That's the difference between the Polish Hasidim and the Chabad Hasidim. Chabad was unique versus all other Hasidic groups. Other Hasidic groups, they told a story, they sang a nice song, they said a sharp word that really inspired you, and it went straight, straight to your heart, and you're on fire. But that's not the Chabad way. The Chabad way is not the shortcuts, no shortcuts, no short, long way. Not quick inspiration, quick inspirational moods and moments, and then it fades away, and what are you left with? Chabad way is the long, short way. A person has to first study, and study a lot. And then a person has to truly understand it, and digest it. And truly understand it, logically, has to understand it. Your mind has to grasp the idea, and comprehend the idea, and be intellectually excited about it. Then comes the most important part. Then you have to take this idea and daven with it and focus and concentrate and spend the time and allow it to sink in and allow it to absorb and to evoke some internal reaction to turn into conviction until you care about it until you own it it's your father, it's personal until you truly get it it clicks inside internalize it and then you've made a connection then you give birth not to fantasies the jumping and ecstasy and momentary inspiration that flames out as quickly as it comes but then you make a permanent you etch a permanent change into your personality into your character you create something like a child that endures that's das and there's no shortcuts we live in a very quick age everything is instant but this is one thing there's no shortcuts no substitute for concentration, for focus, for learning. And it takes time. Until something clicks inside, it takes time. Until you truly get it, it takes time. And you may, we daven the same davening over and over again. You may have to think about it a thousand times until it'll click, until you truly get it. When you jump up and you say, wow, I get it. It, it moves you. And it, then it's permanently part of you. And that evokes an uh, emotion. And the two basic emotions and all the other emotions. It evokes a, a love, fiery love, a passionate love, an ecstasy, a love of ecstasy. It evokes a sense of awe, a sense of dread, a sense of awe, a sense of Hashem's presence. And then it changes you. Then it inspires you. Then it made a difference in your life. That's the difference between learning and davening. Where there is das or there is no das. Like someone, the first generation of Hasidim were all grew up in non-Hasidic households because they were, they, they were the first generation. 
So one of the prize students of the yeshiva um, you know, ran away from his yeshiva and went to Rabbi Dovber, the Magnum of Israel, and became a chassid. When he came home, his father asked him, he met his Rosh Yeshiva, he says, why, why did you leave? He says, you know, by, by us, we went through the entire shas, we went through the entire Talmud. He says, why did you leave? So he says, that's the difference in you and Mizrich. By you, you went through the entire Talmud. In Mizrich, the entire Talmud went through us. <laughs> that's a big difference. It's one thing, you went through the Torah and you mastered the Torah and you learned and it's all intellectual. But wonderful. But what happened to you? Here, the Torah went through you. It changed you, it transformed you, it elevated you, it inspired you, it moved you. It, it, otherwise, what's the point? Otherwise, it's just cerebral. Otherwise, it's just a head trip. It's just a, a game, intellectual game. It's not real. Without das, there's no reality. It's childish. It's not real. Is a Torah real? The Torah has to evoke some internal response to change you, transform you. And the only way to make that connection is through das to truly focus, just like the intimate act. The intimate act is total concentration, 100%, with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, intellectually, emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, consciously, subconsciously. That's that level of concentration, which obviously we all have the ability, that's the level of das in the soul. The soul has that ability, by the way, when you daven, to focus. And God, still you focus and concentrate with no, no distraction. Until pure focus, focus like a laser, until it evokes, you have a feeling, you develop a feeling for godliness, a love of godliness, a sense of godliness. And then your heart is on fire. But that's a fire that's real. It's not a fire that you flame for a moment, and then the fire burns out as quickly as it comes. They said the difference between the Polish chas and the Chabad chas is like, like a difference, you light a straw. The straw quickly grabs on fire and it, 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 it makes noise and it d- jam, jumps and dances. A second later, it's out. So the Chabad Chassid, it's like trying to light a thick piece of wood. <laughs> you try lighting a thick piece of wood until you get the fire to grab on. <laughs> you can plot. But once the fire takes hold, you can't get it out. <laughs> it burns and it burns and it burns. And it burns. So the Alter Rebbe avoided shortcuts. It's easy to get a shot of adrenaline, a shot of inspiration. The Rebbe looks at you and inspires you and he gives a, sings a song and inspires you and gives you a word that's sharp and that inspires you. But that's not real. Yes, it lasts the moment the Rebbe is there and then it's gone. It's not real. The Rebbe avoided those shortcuts. He intentionally avoided it. He said, no shortcuts. I'm going to give you something that's real, that lasts. That's going to change you permanently. I'm going to teach you how to help yourself. And something that you can always do on your own. Recreate. And you can always find that godly spark. Get in touch with that divine spark. And make it a warm flame. A flame that really warms you up and illuminates you and changes you in a real way. One baby step at a time. Makes a dent in your personality and your character and your characteristic traits. And, and that's the only test. That das is a test. The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, whenever he did he always had a test. Everything he did, he always had a test. Is this real or isn't this real? Because we can do, you know, the, our capacity for self-delusion is infinite. <laughs> you know, we think we're soaring in heaven. It's delusion. So everything he had a test. Is this real or isn't this real? 
So das, this is, this, is, this is the connecting. Is this mature? Is this reality? Or is this fantasy? Is it really having an impact on me? Is this really changing me? Is this really hitting home? The real me, the real personality, the real character, is this really affecting me? Or not? It's just a distraction. So das, that, that, that's what keeps us honest. That's, that's, the, that's the reality test. You can take that concept and transform it into conviction, personalize it and own it. And, and uh, we all have that capacity. When it comes to things that matter, we can concentrate, speak to a person about himself, they'll listen to you for hours. Even in this age of five-second attention span, <laughs> I think it's been reduced to three seconds, but... Um, but when you speak to a person about themselves, they'll listen for hours. There's no, there's no attention span problem. There's no... So obviously, when you talk to someone about something he cares about, talk to someone about his money, three days, total focus and concentration, no problem. There's no attention deficits, and there's no, none of this nonsense. There's something that matters to you. You have all the focus and all the concentration in the world. So when you realize that godliness is real and godliness matters to you, You'll find the energy, and we know when it comes to intimacy, we all have that ability. So we have that ability, and the godly soul has that, that koya, that ability of das, of focus and concentration. And if we utilize, utilize that ability, then, then, uh, then uh, that will lead, that will give birth to something real. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.